This is something that they did with the intent to be a part of the forces attacking this movement, attempting to stand in the way of Black people and our and the basic democratics that we have as presumed citizens in, in this country. The right to free speech, the right to freedom of association, the right, the freedom of assembly, and the right to the difference of an opinion. This is what, you know, um, uh, Black people have fought and died for uh, the ability to be able to do. And what the what they are telling us is that Black people do not have the right to do that. And, you know, the moment that you do, when you don't talk the way we want you to talk, when you don't say what we want you to say, and you don't move how we direct you to move, then this is what we'll do to you. Uhuru, and welcome to Black Power Talks. I'm Soliana Bakel, your co-host for this episode. And I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili. And freedom is on our minds 24-7. Today on Black Power Talks, we bring you news and analysis about a recent action by the Pinellas County Commission against St. Petersburg, Florida's Black Power 96.3 FM radio station, where our program is produced. On February 14, 2023, the Pinellas County Commission voted to revoke $36,801 in funding for St. Petersburg's WBPU. 96.3 FM radio, Black Power 96. This denial of well-deserved resources was a blatant and vicious attack on the ability of African people to have our own media voice serving the needs of our own Black community. WBPU Radio is a project of the nonprofit African People's Education and Defense Fund, a Black-led organization that has created programs by and for the African community for over 27 years. Black Power 96 had won the funding allocated through the county from the federal government's American Rescue Plan Act, ARPA, purportedly designed to ensure an equitable recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. The radio station's application was reviewed through an impartial and transparent process, met all the requirements, and was ranked fourth out of 55 applicants in its category by a panel of independent qualified reviewers. The funds were to be used to buy equipment for this Black community radio station that provides critically needed communications, cultural and economic development services to the impoverished and oppressed African community of South St. Petersburg, including a new FM transmitter emergency alert system, broadcast mixing board, and battery backups to replace aging equipment, also a talk show system for live guests and listener call-ins, computers, a production mixing board, mics and headphones for the station's broadcast journalism training program, and a mobile DJ kit for live events and remote broadcasts. In November 2022, the Pinellas County Commissioners voted to award Black Power 96 the funds. The station had signed the contract and was waiting to receive the resources. Then, on February 9, 2023, the newly seated County Commissioner Chris Latvala stated his opposition to the commission's decision to include Black Power 96 among the nonprofit organizations receiving the ARPA funding. Latvala confused the nonprofit African People's Education and Defense Fund with the activities of the broader Uhuru movement and the African People's Socialist Party, calling the APEDF a political party that runs candidates and referencing the APSP's position on the release of African prisoners. Um, they, the Uruhus, uh, which was is associated with this group also support the release of all black prisoners the also uh, according to the anti-defamation league uh, the aruhus have ties to anti-semitic black nationalist groups 
Correct. I just think that, and it is not necessarily that they're a socialist group. A report in the Tampa Bay Times set the record straight on Latvala's charge of Uhura anti-Semitism, writing that Latvala, quote, accused the group of having anti-Semitic beliefs, though he did not cite specifics. The Anti-Defamation League, in a report issued last year, noted links between the Uhura movement and black nationalist groups, such as the Nation of Islam, with a history of anti-Semitism, but it did not accuse the Uhurus of direct anti-Semitic activity, unquote. Latvala had brought up the July 2022 FBI raid on the building that houses Black Power 96 and was informed by county staff that that raid did not preclude APEDF from receiving funding. The funding advisors affirmed that APEDF is in good standing with the IRS as a nonprofit organization and so is eligible to receive funds. It also was stated during the February 9th meeting that the funding of Black Power 96 cannot be undone since it has already been voted on. Uh, and this is a question for Barry. On the next list that comes, do we vote on the entire list or do we vote individually? Well, you would vote on the entire list, but you can certainly pull off any, any individual um, request that is part of that list. But we can't pull that off now, can we? Since they've already been funded. Oh, the previous one, that was already voted on. Okay. But in the next commission meeting, Latvala introduced a motion to revoke Black Power 96 funding. Commissioner Flowers quickly seconded the motion, and it passed unanimously. Comrade Matsumala, you spoke with Akile Enai, director of the African People's Socialist Party's media and communications work, about the serious attack on our movement. Uhuru, uhuru. Yes, I did. Let's hear an excerpt from that conversation where Director Akile summed up this attack in relation to the larger attacks against the Uhuru movement. The African People's Education and Defense Fund, Black Power 96 Radio, is a project of this nonprofit. And, you know, forces in the station, part of the station's operations, as well as APDF, had worked on and submitted a grant for COVID relief type funds that have been allocated to the county, Pinellas County. And in last November, we ranked fourth out of 55 applicants. So we had a, you know, standout stellar uh, application and we, um, and the Pinellas County Commission actually voted to fund Black Power 96 Radio and the grant request for equipment to be able to professionalize and better our operations here in the studio for what it is that we can provide to this community, you know, and to improve the quality of that because we recognize that our community deserves the, the top-notch quality radio station. They should also be able to come into their own radio station, volunteer and do and gain all types of skills and training through radio broadcasts, engineering, audio editing you name it, you know, we wanted to be able to have it for this community so that, you know, people could come here and, and be able to do those things. So um, this was what uh, the grant was for, for those equipment purchases. And it was already voted and approved on last year. And so now, uh, just a couple of days ago, as you've mentioned, and as the Tampa Bay Times article, which, you know, I'll get to um, and saying something about how you know, the only media that they've approved of, and I'm, I mean the colonial powers, the ruling class, our oppressors, the media that they approve of is entities like the Tampa Bay Times because they reflect their worldview and their interests. However, um, when it comes to the Black community having our own vehicle to be able to put forward our own narrative, uh, to put forward our own opinions. 
that are different. We do not share the same opinions of our oppressors. And why would we? So this is something that, you know, as part of the attack, this is the statement that they've made to us. But um, in, a, in, a, in a special meeting, they called a vote to revoke these resources uh, from, from the station, you know, basically trying to put a block on our ability to be able to provide these resources to our community. And that prior to the vote that they took on February 14th, they had had another meeting where uh, persons on the commission, this person, Chris Latvala, was the one who opened it up. They took a considerable amount of time to slander the Uhuru movement and to talk about things that had nothing to do with the grant and APDF and its legal standing as a nonprofit. And so the, the basis of, of this attack was revealed in that meeting. You know, they're... Um, you know, they're absolute working with, you know, the, the the ruling class, this whole social system that wants to keep Black people oppressed. They openly admitted that they are collaborating with those forces to keep Black people oppressed. They condemn and try and um and, as, and slandered the Uhuru movement as a part of a process to isolate the Uhuru movement. And then um as, as to set the foundation for a reasonable explanation as to why they would go in and revoke uh, funds um, uh, to the station. And mind you that um, with the revocation of these resources, one thing is that you know there are there are no other projects that are coming to serve the South Side African community, the historic Black community. There are no funds now based on this revocation going to the Black community out of these COVID relief funds. And we can talk about statistics and we could say who was the most drastically impacted by the, co the colonial virus COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but those resources, resources are not coming to this community. And on the other note, they have changed up or they're attempting to change up the whole process in and of itself completely in terms of what they're even saying the grant can uh, monies can be used for. So now it can't be used for items. It can't be used for things. It has to be, they're saying, you know, they, they want to consider it being used for people. Well, then I would say that they have to revoke every other application that came in that was, you know, supposed to fund things, items, you know, that this was something that they would also have to reconsider if that is the case. But we know that's not the case. This is something that they did with the intent to be a part of the forces attacking this movement, attempting to stand in the way of Black people and our and the basic democratics that we have as presumed citizens in, in this country. The right to free speech, the right to freedom of association, the right to freedom of assembly, and the right to the difference of an opinion. This is what, you know, um, uh, Black people have fought and died for uh, the ability to be able to do. And what the what they are telling us is that Black people do not have the right to do that. And, you know, the moment that you do, when you don't talk the way we want you to talk, when you don't say what we want you to say, and you don't move how we direct you to move, then this is what we'll do to you. So this is, you know, what we're seeing. I know that was much more than what you asked for, President Matsumela, um, but I just felt like that was really important to, to lay out. There is this a formal process that APDF went through just like everybody else. This legally recognized nonprofit goes through the same process as everybody else and, and, and the type of work that it takes to even put together a grant application. All of that has been carried out uh, by APDF and Black Power 96 Radio and, and then ranked four out of 55 uh, applicants. So you can you know make some determinations about you know, uh, just the significance uh, and how um, standout that application actually was. 
And so again, that's, you know, what I could say about the formal process, but this is what it means. This is what they are attempting to do um, when they've made this attack on our station. And, and we have to absolutely say hands off Black Power 96 radio. You are listening to Black Power Talks, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. In today's episode, we are discussing the attack on independent Black media and the Black community's right to freedom of expression, carried out by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners. In my conversation with African People's Socialist Party Director of Media and Communication, Akile Nai, she went on to speak towards the significance of Black Power 96 to the African community in St. Petersburg, Florida, as well as this historical struggle for African liberation. So, so Black Power 96 is now six years old, but of course uh, that 96 has special meaning to uh, the Uhuru House where we are headquartered right now. So why is 1996 important to the Uhuru movement? You know, I, I would say for a couple of reasons, um, but the, the primary one, uh, you know, that I am most aware of is the rebellions that took place in 1996. And not just the rebellions, but also the response, um, not response. I mean, it was initiated, let me say, by uh, the colonial state. It was initiated by the police on October 24th when they killed 18-year-old Tyrone Lewis. And when you have um, when black people have hundreds of years of experience with this system that we have been enslaved, you know, uh, by uh, the colonizer that we have, you know, uh, been lynched, you know, whole lynch moms, our communities burned down and we've been strung up from light poles and um, and and things. If we we have that history and then we have the history of the police brutalizing, beating uh, black people, killing black people. We have this whole history and relationship we know with this social system and with the police in particular. And we experienced the black uh, the defeat of the black power movement of the 1960s. We experienced the murder of Martin Luther King, of Malcolm X. You know, these uh, broad daylight assassinations that occurred against leaders of our struggle. So black people have that history and that experience with this system. And so on 1996, October 24th, when they killed uh, Tyron Lewis, the response from the African community as a consequence of that was based on this history that we have with this social system and that this community, the black community here was courageous in the stance to say, you cannot get away with killing black people. You can't get away with killing this 18 year old who still had, as chairman says, baby fat in his face, you know, and, and, and get away with this. I mean, the, the time, is now to stand up, to fight back. That's what this community um, was determined to do in 96. But I have to uh, restate that this was not unprompted, that the murder of Tyron Lewis was it was the, the factor that uh, put the rebellions in motion in the sense that it was something that uh, created the situation where Black people had something you know, to uh, really out there direct in their faces to fight against. And so this is, you know, what uh, the murder of Tyron Lewis represented and the, the community res uh, responded in a fierce rebellion and not just once, but twice because it, it rose up in fierce rebellion of Tyron Lewis and this community, but it rose up on November 13th of 1996 because the uh, St. Petersburg city government initiated a military assault on the Uhuru House and on the Uhuru Movement. And on, on November 13th, out, just like we have on, on Sundays, regular community rallies, we were having a meeting on that, on November 13th, which was a Wednesday, because at that time we had meetings on Wednesdays. 
and we had um, organized a meeting to discuss the non-guilty verdict of um, James Knight and Sandra Minor, the cops, the killer cops who killed Tyron Lewis. We were gonna be discussing this non-guilty verdict and the way forward for our community. This is it's something we did normally. We had normal, regular community meetings that the community came out to um, to discuss the different issues impacting us. So this was you know, uh, an, uh, uh, another meeting that we were having. And the St. Petersburg city government, they roped off this entire community. They made it impossible for Africans to be able to, you know, get through even to their own homes and things of that nature, made it difficult for people to get to the Uhuru house. And um, in, that, in that process, they trapped the leader of the Uhuru movement, Chairman Amalia Shatella and others in this building, leaders and community members. I mean, pregnant women, children in this building, they trapped of the people in this building by firing tear gas at all the entrances and exits of this building. And they also tried to set the building on fire by, you know, uh, uh, by getting the tear gas, um, you know, up and caught into the trees. And they tried to set the trees on fire. So to try and which would ultimately set the building on fire. So they're trapping people in with this tear gas, which is essentially like poison at this point, trapping people in, but it was the community it was Africans in this community that came in, managed to find a way for people to exit the building and what we call the ghost faces. They put, you know, their bandanas or whatever they had, put it on their face, put it on their face and they came out and they kicked their behinds. They kicked back 300 different types of military forces from the St. Pete police and other neighboring police agencies, 300 um, whole military, you know, troops, you know, deployed against this community, this movement, and the community pushed them back. And, um, and they defeat them, defeated them militarily. And so that's the significance of 1996. This is called the Battle of St. Petersburg. And that goes down in the history of the struggle uh, for uh, Black liberation, for Black freedom and self-determination. And um, it's a struggle that was courageous that we have to look to and set it and, and use as an example. Um, but it's also a part of the evidence that this system has made it, has made Black people, uh, has made it a, a crime for Black people to organize against their oppression, the conditions of their oppression, where you can kill this African and have and receive no consequence. But Black people are not even allowed to have a meeting to discuss this murder and discuss the fact that there was no consequence against these killer cops. No, no, no tear gas, no 300 police forces on the St. Pete police headquarters or the mayor's home. No, not the people who were responsible for the death of this African, but it was on our movement who was struggling against these kind of conditions that would allow for the police and anybody to be able to come into our community, kill us with impunity. These are the types of conditions that this movement for decades have been organizing around. And this is the thing that they have um, have, have said is, is criminal. And, and of course, you know, they tout themselves as, you know, uh, fighting for democracy, but what uh, any real struggle for democracy that Black people have been engaged in, they have, you know, uh, showed us how um, how this democracy works and how it only works for the colonizer um, because it was achieved at our expense and that Black people really don't have any democratic rights at all. That's what we're being told. And, and so our responsibility is to struggle against that and um, to, to, first of all, claim all the space to, you know, to uh, defend the democratic rights of Black people and, and to fight for freedom and self-determination, that's our job. And this is um, you know, uh, the basis for why we would come under attack. So the party, the Uhuru movement, Chairman Molly Chatella has had the gall, has had the audacity 
and um and 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 just and 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 struggle fearlessly relentlessly despite all of these things that have ever come down on this movement and so whatever they throw at us now it will not stop uh and cannot stop black people's will and fight to be free so that's the significance of 96 and i don't know if that's why 96 was chosen i think it might have had something to do with what was available in terms of the frequency <laughs> and things like that but I'm glad you pointed out because it, it definitely uh, falls right into our lap. So right, right, right. We're, we're not idealists, right? But I guess idealists would say, you know, well, <laughs> well, I say, uh, look at Garvey, look at Garvey. Look at, look at Garvey. You are listening to Black Power Talks produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. In today's episode, we are discussing the attack on independent Black media and the Black community's right to freedom of expression carried out by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners. On February 20, 2023, the Uhura Movement held a well-attended press conference at the Uhura House to demand reinstatement of the funding. Black Power 96 FM radio station manager Eddie Maltby had this to say. I'm going to tell you my story and how I got to be to a radio station they no longer want to fund. Let me tell you, I saw downtown, many of you have seen me sing on the streets of St. Petersburg for 35 years downtown in front of a store, I mean, a store called McCory's. If you could go back to 1982, and I went to the store manager and said, can I sing outside? He said, I don't care. I started singing. Singing my heart out. Got married. Had three kids. Got five grandkids. Five years ago, I heard about this station called Black Power. I turned it on and I listened. I listened to a fellow by the name of O'Malley Yassatella, the chairman. I had heard of this fellow before, many years ago. His name Joe Wallace. And I said, wow, I'd like to go over there see if I could be, you know, a DJ. I sat there in that street one, one day and I said, Lord, find something else for me to do because I can't continue singing on the streets of St. Petersburg. I'm 50 now and I'm getting older. My lungs are getting weaker. And, and next thing you know, there comes black power. 100% blind. I came and knocked on the door and said, I want to be a DJ. Give me a chance. Can I? They, they told me at that time, this is a station open for everybody. If you think you can do it, come on. So I started playing music. Say, what you want to play? I said, gospel music. I want to start out with gospel. I have a religious background. So I started playing gospel music. Next thing I know, I got a call saying, we want you to be assistant manager. Next thing I know, two years later, I got a call saying, nope, not assistant manager, manager. Now, even in my own spirit, I went home and said, well, Lord, thank you. I'm a good manager. And something in the back of my head said, well, Eddie, you, you're blind. And that's all you're going to be able to do, be system manager. And two years later, become manager of a station. And this is the same station they're saying that there's no use for. This is a, there is a use for this station. Because not only that it's called black power, but there's another power behind it. And I want to talk to some other people that really believes in another different power. And this power is higher than even the white man. And that's what we're living for right now. The everlasting power of this radio station is going to be withhold. Remember, there's going to be a new world order. I believe that black power has its roots here in our community, it's going to stay in our community. 
And I want to say something to everybody who does not believe that it's going to stay from the station manager. I don't see nothing, but I feel everything. He was followed by Janice Kent, administrator for the African People's Education and Defense Fund. joined by Jabbar Edmund from 99 Jams, Carafesta Radio, also in St. Petersburg. Hi everyone, um, I'm Mr. Edmund from the Tampa Bay Breakfast Club. Um, I'm representing 99 Jams, Carafesta Radio. On behalf of 99 Jams, Carafesta Radio, the Bird supports Black Power 96 because local radio matters, Black radio matters. On this Black History, February 2023, we are here um, in this historic hall about a matter, right? Fighting for justice and funding um, because the struggle continues. I'm not doing that. St. Pete has two black-owned radio stations operated by community members on, on the FM dial. Black newspapers. Um, we got community-led initiatives like the Women's Project, Power Club Radio, um, organized 
organizations are, that are owned and operated by black community members. This is black history, y'all. Black, black Power 96 is black history. Um, this radio station, actually, this radio station and the movement has deep roots here in St. Petersburg, Florida, that go back, like I said, the 60s and 70s. Yahoo um, didn't start in 96. They have been here, right? And me being in the community, I've always seen Yahoo in the community, working in the community, and helping the community. So when Black Power 96 started, you know, I was a big supporter. Um, I came on as a guest. Um, I was a part of several, several things that they did. Um, and so the real issue is these radio stations cater to underserved communities, right? Delivering important information. Black Power 96, Black Power 96 is a cultural show, right? This place grooms leaders, teaches people badly skills, right? Get people on the job training, right? What place in a five mile radius that's going there for the black community? Right now, in this surveyed area, there's no place like this in this community. And this place has been here pretty much half, most of my life, right? Um, 99 Jams supports Black Power 96 and 99 Jams supports freedom of speech. All over this country, radio, radio airways are filled with commercialized, well, the commercialization of black culture, right? They're profitizing off of our, our music, off our lyrics, you know, off our style. Um, and Black Power 96 is a home of black culture. Um, black Power 96 has a history and a clear track record of giving back to this community. Um, like I said, between, um, through mentorship, leadership, intern, on the job training, and valuing the skills in this community. Black Power 96 deserves this funding. 99 Jones believes in the importance of independent radio in underserved communities. Um, disseminating information, um, and doing the things that no other radio stations don't do. Um, actually caring about the community. And oftentimes we speak about black history and we romanticize of an era you know, not so far gone. We get a picture of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or Malcolm X, you know, we host events, we do parties, but we ignore living black history. Mm. And Black Power 96 is living black history. That's right. Right here in St. Pete. Um, they say that it's useless, but have they ever toned in? Have they ever listened to Black Power 96? Right? Have they ever listened to the gospel? Have they ever listened to, you know, the hip-hop freestyles? You know, have they ever, you know, checked out the place? Um, so with that, St. Pete has a rich past in civil rights and even a brighter future because of the Black Power 96. Thank you. Alan Perry, a local St. Pete author and cultural worker, offered this testimony. So yes, I'm Alan Perry, a.k.a. Valley Boy, and I'm here to speak uh, on behalf of a local artist. I'm also a hometown resident, born and raised here in St. Pete, and I'm very concerned about the community and what goes on in the community. Um, 96.3 offers us as artists the chance to get our music played um, when other radio stations won't play us. We don't have to degrade ourselves. We don't have to rap about killing each other. We don't have to say D's and, and H's and N-words to get our music played. And they love that type of music here. So this is a place for artists to really be an artist. And they help. This station has helped uh, many artists like reach the next level. They do live concerts for us all the time. I mean, they just present a platform for an artist who is uh, 
really trying to specialize in the art and not mimic other people just to get a check. And the, the station also, as me being an author, you know, the station has uh, brought highlight and brought attention to my book. I have a book titled uh, Get Up, Get Out, and Get Something, a message to the incarcerated black man. And that book is a, uh, it's an extreme message for urgency. You know, that book and grab that book and put that book on the air and put that book out there and really open that book up to the community. And I mean, no other station would do this. No other station would play my music. Like, I've been doing this for years. And then I walk in this door, and then the next day my music is coming. And it's like, not just for me, for many local artists here. And you don't have to just be from here, just be an independent artist and sing music. Right. And they will get it played. And I mean, the places here, I mean, we're allowed to do, like I say, concerts, kitchen is here, the hall. Welcome, you can rent it. Like, there's no, this is not happening anywhere else in the community for the local artists other than I did hear somebody mention 99.1, uh, my brother Jabbar. And, like, those two stations up, that's it. And I mean, we have many stations here that just won't play our music unless it's degrading and unless you know somebody. And it's like, I just really want to, you know, gonna just give my love and thanks to, to the station. Um, I mean, like, you so y'all always like I can't really speak, you know, I can't, I can't say, uh, I can't speak highly enough of her, you know, so it's like, this is a movement, it's much needed, um, I speak for many, many local artists who couldn't be here, and I promise you that uh, we love and we appreciate this station, and we love and we appreciate our community, and thank you. You are listening to Black Power Talks, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. In today's episode, we are discussing the attack on independent Black media and the Black community's right to freedom of expression, carried out by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners. Finally, Director Akile deepened the importance of understanding this attack against Black Power 96 in the context of the Hands Off Uhuru movement and Florida Governor Ron Santos's assault on African history. I mean, we absolutely have to see it as not separate. I mean, they, uh, like I said, they literally, you know, in a, in a meeting uh, prior to the, the, the session that they had where they voted to revoke the resources, I mean, they took that opportunity to slander the Uhuru movement, to attack the Uhuru movement, um, and, you know, and, and, um, and said that they could not fund, uh, you know, projects or should not fund projects with an association with the Uhuru movement. And, um, you know, so uh, this is just very clear and blatant uh, as a, a continue continuation of the attacks that was, um, uh, you know, started, initiated in July of, of uh, 2022. And as you stated um, that July 29th, you know, that was the big, you know, the big bang, if you will, but on uh, July 2nd, just 27 days prior to that, um, right here in the Uhuru House, in bro- uh, at the Uhuru House in broad daylight, this uh, person comes, uh, pulls up into the parking lot of our building where we're waving a, a giant red, black, and green flag, you know, um, that just is a symbol of, uh, if anything, pride uh, for African people. And um, you have this person who comes out of the vehicle with a military grade flamethrower. So not something you can go get from Walmart or Home Depot or any of these places. You, you know, you, wherever you locate these things, but it's a military grade flamethrower. He gets out and, um, and torches the flag. 
And there was no, there's not even an emotion, you know, on behalf of, of the colonial state um, in this regard. And in fact, the investigation really had to be taken on by us in the Uhuru movement itself. And, you know, when they identified this person, it was an African, an African who claimed to hate socialism and thought that the flag was, who said that the flag was divisionary. This is what is reported in the news that this, this person is saying about the Uhuru movement, the red, black, and green flag, which is uniting Black people all throughout the world. Um, and he says this about the Uhuru movement, uh, when the fact is that the thing that is dividing uh, the people is this relationship that we have where you know, somebody lives at our expense, is able to suck the blood of our community and is able to, um, you know, and to live off that. So that's the, that, that's the thing that creates the real division, those circumstances. But um, this this person that they plucked found uh, to you know carry this assault out, um, and but I I, am, I mentioned that he's an African uh, because of course we know that uh, you know Africans and other uh, colonized people, other oppressed peoples can uh, uh, carry out the role of their oppressor. They we've seen this throughout history, and in fact we'll talk probably some more about that in terms of those forces on the Pinellas County Commission who made sure that we didn't get these funds. But um, you know, so you have this African. But the interesting thing about this is that you, he comes with a military grade flamethrower and torches a flag and he is charged with criminal mischief and is out the next day. So that's abnormal because when you think about how Africans get hit with the greatest penalty, you know, the greatest possible charge penalty you can imagine for petty, you know, minor quote unquote crimes, you know, they, they try to put Africans under the jail. So you have a situation now where this African is, <laughs> you know, like he's not um, getting the maximum of what we know could possibly happen in that situation had he gone to burn the uh, the U the flag that comes to represent U.S. imperialism, right? If you go burn the red, white, and blue, he'd have been locked up, and there would have been no question. He burns the red, black, and green flag, gets criminal mischief. It's not arson. It's not a hate crime or any of those things. Uh, so that's what happened on July 2nd, and then July 29th is where the FBI conducts simultaneous pre-dawn raids in both St. Louis, Missouri, where our movement is headquartered, and here in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I know people listening right now in St. Pete, they saw that, they witnessed it, they stood outside their houses as it was happening. And in St. Louis, the chairman, um, you know, uh, uh, said something really important that the people, because we are always under siege, because we are always under attack by the system, that the people didn't know who the FBI was there for. They thought it was them, you know, because he's in the African community where this thing is happening. So they come in with their armored, you know, their 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 armored vehicles, you know, uh, uh, dressed to the nines and their, you know, their gear, all of these things. And um, they're attacking the chairman with the flashbang grenades, uh, handcuffing assault rifles, po pointing them on the chairman's chest, letting them know, letting him know that they would kill him. That, and that was the statement that they made. They did the same thing to our comrades in the Solidarity Movement at the Hru Solidarity Center in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And, and, and to my uh, personal home, they were you know, also added take, you know, and doing the same kinds of things surrounding me uh, by with FBI agents after they told me my car had been broken into and I need to go see what was missing from my car. So um, this is happening. I mentioned pre-dawn too, because that's important because that's how they've normally come um, throughout history to Black people. If we remember Fred Hampton in Chicago, they came at four o'clock in the morning and they gunned him down um, uh, in, in that position because there's a, um, uh, there, it's assumed that the people at that time are asleep 
and you are not so when you when you wake up you're disoriented and um but uh fortunately we were in a position where that you know was not the case but um you know but this is what it is that they did and again july 20 uh july 2nd you know re really was uh where we can say was the the uh, the starting point of, of a direct attack made on our movement a direct attack because there has not been a point in the Uhuru movement's existence where we have not been up against, you know, this this system and um, uh, the colonial ruling class. I mean, there's never been a point of our 50-year history. I mean, the chairman in 1966 tore down a mural and was sentenced to five years in prison. And you know, uh, and and prior to that, had been trying to organize black people um, to to vote in Madison, Florida, and was faced by white lynch mobs. So, you know, th these are things that have, you know, uh, our movement has faced for the its entirety um before there was an uhuru movement to formally call it that um we have always been under attack so i want to make that clear but this direct assault that started in Ju uh july of last year um this is the thing that we are you know dealing with struggling against and we recognize that what has happened with bp96 and this uh the and the the and the revoking of these resources is a part of that attack it is not separate because th this kind of discussion that we're having right now this type of discussion they don't want on the air they don't want you to be able to talk about this type of stuff they don't want you to know about this history they don't want you to know who the key players are in making this you know making this stuff happen uh working against you they don't want you to know this so we have to have this radio station so that we can be able to facilitate discussions like this that allow us to be able to expose what is really going on for black people to be able to talk about what's really going on and for us to be able to organize what's about uh, around what's really going on. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you're absolutely correct. I really appreciate uh, what you're talking about uh, there, especially the, the context in which you gave to the attacks going back to July 2nd. Uh, but you also talked about uh, chairman uh, tearing down the mural in uh, 1966, because I really think that uh, the mural incident really was something that sprung the force, um, the social force that uh, created, um, th that really serves as a precursor for the establishment of Black Power 96, so really an understanding of um, the centrality of dual and contending power. This, is there anything about that you want to, you want to say uh, really about the way in which in which Black Power ninety six, uh, as well as uh, the Burning Spear media overall, really has been a force in taking uh, these ideas out into the public. Yes, and I, and also the practical work, you know, of being out here and gay. I mean, the radio and the sphere is practical work, and also being out there in the community and you know being able to have these discussions uh, with the people, just being bringing it right to the people and having the venue, the space to be able to talk about these things. But um, absolutely, want to uh, really first of all salute the leadership of Chairman Omalia Shatella, the theory of African internationalism which he's brought to the whole world, which has given this clarity to the world situation. Chairman uh, constantly emphasizes that African internationalism is a theory of practice. So it's something that has to be carried out in the real world, has to change the world in a real way, in a material way. And this is what African internationalism has done. So it has changed 
uh, the world in a real way because it has exposed uh, these conditions and it has spent for decades, even when it wasn't the popular opinion, it spent that time hammering it in and trying to instruct and teach African people and the rest of the world about, you know, about this situation in order to properly struggle against it. So, you know, this is something the it, the genie's out of the bottle. It, it's unleashed. It can't ever go back. And again, it highlights the significance of institutions like Black Power 96 Radio that allows us, we have chairman's program. Chairman Amali taught me Sunday study. Uh, you can't find it, you know, anywhere else, a, a, a program like that on, in, on any radio station, except, you know, this, this station right here. So, you know, this is really important. And even uh, shows like Black Power Talks, Reparations in Action, and all these other programs that we have that we're able to have these kinds of discussions, have the types of guests we want, and 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 therefore we're able to have these discussions with African people, the community itself we're able to talk to. And if I could just highlight the significance of this uh, uh, for a moment, because this we have to be able to put these people in the same camp of 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 what Ron DeSantis is doing here the governor of Florida is doing here with um the banning of black history and things like that from education because this is this is part of it right by taking out history by taking out the actual voice and opinions and and, and views of black people the worldview of black people by you know taking this away from the public eye this is a part of that assault this is a part of that assault by take, you know, trying to do things to prevent us from being able to have a radio station, from Black people being able to have a radio station. They're trying to prevent what is even able to be communicated, you know, to our people and to the rest of the world. And so we have to, you know, this, this whole struggle, it's a war of ideas because ideas are so significant. And once, once you, you know, locked in and it's captured the imaginations of people, they can, you know, move in a certain direction. It becomes a material force. So right now we're in a battle, a war of ideas. And the, the, the problem with history is that if you dig deep enough, it exposes the lie that the colonizer has told the rest of the world. So you dig for dig deep enough, you can get to that uh, conclusion. And so they don't want you to dig deep enough and they don't want you to have a radio station that's gonna dig deep enough. And that's gonna be able to provide you these kinds of programs and, and these talks and discussions and have you put, put your voice on this radio to say, this is what the city government's done to me. They came to my house. They've been calling my grandmama, trying to take her house. They done killed my brother on this street, so-and-so. So they don't want you to be able to have this type of discussion to expose who they are and the, and the fact that you know uh, this type of oppression is happening to your community and that you have a responsibility to struggle against it. This is, you know, what uh, is happening all at the same time. So if we have a problem with DeSantis is doing um, in the Florida government with education and, and, and all these types of things, this is how we fight back, having our own institutions. That's correct. That's correct. I really appreciate uh, that because, of course, this falls in the middle of uh, Black History Month, African History Month. And there's a way to which the bourgeois media has... Uh, summed up Black History Month as these 28, sometimes 29 days through which you can hear about Black achievements. However, I do want to salute uh, what we might even call Comrade Carter G. Woodson, because at least Carter, Carter G. Woodson understood something that other people didn't, was that this month, it was that this observant was about struggle. In fact, what was then called Negro History Week was actually organized to observe the year-long struggle that Africans waged around history because history 
uh, itself is directly tied into the struggle uh, against colonialism, right? As Chairman Omaya Taylor teaches, uh, uh, colonialism seeks to uh, remove the ability of colonized people to produce life, labor, value for themselves. And when we produce uh, uh, history, we are producing value. When we produce life, we're producing history. So, so the truth is that the, the, the observance was supposed to be not about 28 days, but it's supposed to be about what's the work you've been doing uh, uh, all year long. And this is an organization that's been working tirelessly since 1966 to give the voice to the African working class, give a theory that explains the world through the vision of the African working class. So that's, I really appreciate that because, you know, 1966 is no small uh, a feat. It's no small moment because it, in that December 1966 uh, uh, event in which Chairman Tordano Mill, which itself was also about uh, uh, St. Petersburg and Pinellas County uh, uh, receiving funds to supposedly uh, address the poverty issue in the United in 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 St. Petersburg and Pinellas County, and instead uh, using it for their own uh, liberal bourgeois. Uh, means and not for the people. It was an African woman who stood up, and she was poor. She 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 she, she did not speak like uh, the African petty bourgeoisie or the white ruling class. And uh, the police and reporters started to mock her. And it's at that moment that Chairman O'Malley should tell. The chairman said he they had a demand to pull down the mirror, but he hadn't planned to go in there. And it's at that moment, in defense of the voice of the African working class, in defense of African women. March is Africa is Women's Month. That's when Chairman did this. And in many ways, for me, really, really, that's what this represents. That's what uh, the unity of everyone uh, uh, with Black Power 96 really, really represents, right? The movement has had a powerful response. I mean, I see you doing interviews. I mean, I was actually preparing for this show, D Director Akile, and I found interviews I didn't even know you did. On, on YouTube, you know, so 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 when we talk about relentless, we mean relentless, and there's been really a relentless media campaign uh, led by um, uh, around uh, as a part of this larger hands off who hands off Africa campaign. So can you tell us about uh, um, how uh, you all have organized uh, this defense campaign and even the role of media in it? Yes, uh, and um, I'm going to get to that, I promise, but you said something that uh, was really important and I want to observe because that that demonstration in 1990, uh, 1966, that's what that struggle was about. It was about economic development and for these funds to go to the African community versus some beautification project of downtown St. Pete, which is notoriously white. And um, so we were engaged in that struggle in 66, which led to the powerful um, uh, historic act of tearing down the mural. And in 1996, um, we were, uh, you know, trying to access uh, community grant funds. That's what they were called, community grant funds to have a gym, to have a, a gym that which was finally named Tyron Lewis Gym. But it was a Huru Black gym of our own. And it was to be in our community to be able to serve, you know, uh, to speak to the grave disparities in health and wellness of our people. So we had to fight tooth and nail for those for that money. And as a consequence of our participation in that, um, in, in trying to get those resources, it was figures like uh Renee Flowers, who is on the Pinellas County Commission on today, who was part of um 
attacking the Uhuru movement and revoking these resources from Black Power 96, it was Renee Flowers, who was one of the hand-picked sellouts, the Negroes that they recruit, they have a whole team of them and the, um, you know, that have been used for decades to stand in the way of the Black community. And so um, at that time, she had been responsible for moving the goalpost along, basically changing the rules so that Black people, ordinary working class Black people would not be able to access these community grant funds and that now those funds will go to white people. They will go to white businesses. They will go to the Hilton downtown, that this is, this was, would be the result of those grant funds. And that's the same thing that's going to happen, by the way, with these with the Pinellas County Commission and these funds that were supposed to be going to Black Power 96. So Renee Flowers did it again. Uh, uh, Chris Latvala and all these forces, you know, have um, uh, made it clear that, you know, these resources by all means have to go to either the white community or the black people that's willing to do what white people tell them to do. So um, I wanted to be able to make that point. Um, and, uh, so uh, to your question, yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted, I, I had, you, you reminded me, I had to get that in, uh, as it relates to this campaign. I mean, the overwhelm, I mean, cause first of all, Africans have been engaged in struggle since we were first kidnapped from Africa and brought here to be in, into to this soil and dispersed throughout the world to work against our will, had our babies snatched away from us against our will. We have been fighting, you know, that reality. So I, I wanted to be very clear that at no point during the history of colonialism and slavery did Black people ever just roll down, lay down on our bellies and accept those conditions. We have always fought. But the problem has been that we live under a, a, a system where it has made it illegal for Black people to be able to struggle to end that relationship, to, um, to, to end that system that, you know, sucks the blood of the people, that oppresses and subjugates the people in order for its own survival. So it has made it illegal for you to be able to do that. But even in that process, that the Uhuru movement hasn't done anything illegal. And the charges that we were, uh, that have been, um, we are accused of these racist, bogus charges of being Russian agents and things like that. And part of it is uh, part uh, to, to isolate us and to make us the boogeyman to the people, to make us these weird extraterrestrial creatures, you know, to the people. And so they're working with the Russians. I mean, this is, you know, what it is that they're saying, but black people, we know better than that. We know better, not just because it's a history that proves that, you know, they throw the Russia thing. It's not even, it's not even so much that is that we know that anytime black people have tried the struggle and gotten any close to a semblance of freedom, have gotten close to any semblance of, of independence and self-determination, here comes the government to crush those efforts. We saw it with Garvey in the in the 1920s with the Garvey movement. We've seen it historically. We've seen people like Aretha Franklin, you know, uh, be be uh, surveilled and, and harassed by the FBI. So this is a whole history that we have with this, with this system. So when they say things like, oh, it's Russia and all this kind of stuff, black community quickly can call bogus. And, and so can more and more people throughout the world call, you know, call the crap on it because you know, they know what they're looking at when they look at the fall of this whole social system, a, a dying U.S. imperialism that's fighting, gasping for its last breath. And it's struggling, having all these having to put out all these fires, you know, throughout the world because it's losing its grip um, as the as the superpower in the world. So we know what that is. And so we've had because of that. And because the party has been in the mix for 50 years and has been organizing and has been on the ground building relationships with real people, talking to real people day in and day out, we have now, and, and, and we have gone to every arena you can possibly imagine to win those people, 
you know, uh, no, in all, all kinds of places we've been to win those people. And so now when these attacks happen, it, you know, it just blew up and the people, you know, knew to come to the Uhura movement's defense and, and to be part of this campaign. So we've gotten tremendous support of this and the media is a critical role in that. The whole public relations component is a critical role in this because it is the way in which we've been able to get this uh, out there before the people because they attacked us in July. And then uh, since then, mom's been the word. And mom's been the word uh, because they don't got nothing, you know, on this movement. They can't find anything on this movement. Right. And, 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 and also because if you take it out of the news cycle, um, they can be able to carry out another uh, uh, simultaneous pre-dawn raid and it catches the people off guard. But we won't, it, it can't catch people off guard if we're involved in this process. So we're keeping it out there in front of the people, making it a part of the daily news cycles. Um, you know, that, that, that's what this work has uh, set out to do. It's been responsible for defining the narrative around this case and this campaign and to um, explain the basis for this uh, attack on us and also to show the history as, as part of helping to uh, explain, you know, why this attack would happen uh, to the Uhuru movement and the chairman at this point in time. So that was, um, you know, that's what I could say. But again, the media and the, the the institutions that we have to be able to get out ideas. This is, you know, something that is extremely vital to our movement. Black Power 96 represents our vehicle to get out our ideas. You have been listening to Black Power Talks produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. In today's episode, we explored the attacks against Black Power 96 made by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners. Our theme song, Get Up and Do Something, was written and performed by Alika Ngoma. Thanks to the Black Power Talks production, research, and promotions team, as well as all others who keep this show going. Uhuru. You can pray until you faint, but if you don't get up and try to do something,